it was like in the pool. I just like didn't really care all that much. But as soon as I got to the ocean, it was like summertime. It was really warm. There was all these little lobster crawling around. It was like an awesome visibility day. And I was like, oh yeah, I get it. This is why people do this. I like it. I'm in it. Okay, this is good. It's episode 30 of Dive in the Podcast with this week's guest, April Weikert. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, your favorite podcast about all types of diving, scuba tech, freediving, and more. We cover it all. Every week on Monday, we post new episodes filled with diving news, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin. I'm April. I'm Amit. And I'm Nick. And we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Tonight, we're speaking to a Patty instructor and third-generation Atlantic Canada diver. When she's not diving in cold water, she likes to travel and dive in warm waters around the world. But she's still a super fan for the beauty of the North Atlantic. She founded the Sea Foxes Dive Club, a prolific ladies' diving club on the east coast of Canada. Tonight, we chat with one of our own, podcast host, April Weikert. Last week's episode with Matt Tafal was really great. I, I know I really enjoyed it. How did you guys feel about it? Well, I did the interview, so I feel pretty good about it. Oh, well, that's a good thing. That's good. I'm glad you liked it. I liked it. And he was talking about CrossFit and stuff, too. So it was like a nice, you know, variety of things. Yeah, I snuck that in there as the name of the episode. In case our old friend Devin is listening, he'll enjoy that, too. That's what I was thinking. In the news tonight, I've got an amazing diving scheme. A pair of men were convicted in a diving scheme involving a hidden cocaine cache and uh, back in 2018, these two guys, Matt Lambert and Darcy Bailey, were caught, along with two others that weren't charged, for diving and uh, importing, smuggling, not importing because that wouldn't be a crime, I guess, but <laughs> smuggling 150 kilos of cocaine into the Halifax Harbor off of Point Pleasant Park in Halifax's South End. They dove to a container ship with scooters and tools to access a compartment with the drugs. Sounds pretty well planned? Well, not so much. They had already tried to do it and failed in the Port of Montreal where the currents were too high and they dove from like a rented rubber boat, which immediately caught the attention of uh, of the Port Authority there. And so they notified Halifax and lo and behold, they staked out the boat or, you know, followed these guys and they watched them do two dives. And when they loaded all the stuff, presumably drugs and dive gear into the back of their, their car, the police rolled up and arrested them. And it turns out the drugs were hidden in a compartment under the boat that sucks water up into the engine to cool it, which if it was actually operating when they went in would have sucked them up and probably killed them. So the police also were able to bust them based on WhatsApp messages. You know, some crooks never learn. How many times have we heard crooks getting busted for WhatsApp or text messages? They never... Yeah. Well, whatever. It's probably I never better actually. That they do. <laughs> they, but I don't know. I feel like I always hear that. That's one thing I always hear. Why do these people always texting about doing crimes? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. It was like a generational thing, right? Like you, you can't talk to people anymore. So you just got to text everybody because it's just conversations <laughs> take too long. And you just go back and retrieve all that stuff later on. So just leaving a wicked breadcrumb trail, I guess, for, for those coppers looking for it. Mm-hmm. It's, de- it's definitely not a, in the you know it's definitely in the department of don't try this at home right oh my god totally yeah well, well i mean you- generally generally i don't recommend to try to <laughs> smuggle you know, cocaine smuggled yeah cocaine drug trafficking into- <laughs> is usually not on the high list of recommendations and i think these guys could all almost qualified for darwin awards right like when you look at the mm-hmm. stupidity involved in the whole thing right like hey let's let's just go into this thing here and didn't work well in montreal we'll just drive down mm-hmm. to halifax because that's the next stop like second yeah. attempt <laughs> Yeah. Well, the funny so, thing is, they, they never even got the drugs. Oh, they didn't even get any of the drugs. <laughs> no, I didn't they catch didn't that. even better. <laughs> no, they didn't uh, get it. They just got busted for it. Yeah. It's just epic so they, fail all around. They took a boat? Like they went in off a boat? The first time in Montreal. So in Halifax? where Did, did they just go off the shore or what? They, they went they off were, of Black Rock Beach. Black Rock what? Beach. So they just... Parked at Point Pleasant Park and like walked on town <laughs> with all their dive gear and yeah. wow. Well, that's Swim automatically a boat. red flag because I don't know. I don't like diving there. Ah, lots of people dive there though. <laughs> the I red guess. flag is when you try to come out of the water with some duffel bags. <laughs> 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 like, how do they think uh, that was going to go? What, like a couple of dry bags and stuff all yeah. the cocaine in them and then dive back? Like, 
Well, I mean, or, or what are you doing? Like, you know, what are you doing with the tools of the bag as you swim towards the <laughs> ship? Like, you know, so what were you going to do with that there, champ? Like, you know, just it really you know makes you, you know, it's really going to kill a mid. I bet you they <laughs> weren't that? diving side mount. They would have actually gotten what they were after if they were diving side mount. <laughs> they could have just snuck into that small crevice and got all there that drugs. <laughs> no big yeah. deal, right? So, no. yeah. So I guess well, that's the the tip of the week is if you're gonna go steal uh, cocaine off a container ship, do it in side mount. Do it in side mount. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. That's right. <laughs> Co- cocaine traffickers uh, around the world. Amit is quickly distancing himself. So otherwise, from that comment, trying to keep this uh, keep this on the right. We want side mount pro, you know, uh, to become sorry. prolific for the right sorry, reasons, sorry, guys. Sorry. Not not the bad reasons. Oh. All right, all right. Drugs bad. Got it. Got yeah. It. Okay. Side mount good. Cocaine. Side bad. mount good. <laughs> Drug dealing bad. <laughs> That's perfect. I guess we should get into this interview. As we chatted about earlier tonight, we get to interview with April, our next host in our host interview. So you listeners at home get to get a chance to know us a little bit better. I'm so nervous. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, no. I don't know what to say. Well, you know, I start guess you start with some words. <laughs> start yeah, with yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, why don't you start by telling us where you're from? You're 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 from Nova Scotia, right? Originally, I am. Yeah, so I'm like a born and raised Haligonian. I was born in Halifax, raised in HRM. I guess I kind of grew up in St. Margaret's Bay, but yeah, born and raised in Halifax. So then what would you say is your first memory of actually the water? You know what? I don't know if I actually have a first memory of the water just because I was always around it. So like my grandparents live on the ocean. I lived on the ocean growing up. So I feel like I don't have that one distinct memory that everybody has of the ocean, uh, just because literally since the day I was born, I was seeing it every day. But I do kind of have the first memory of like that pretty blue Caribbean water. Yeah. Uh, That was in, I was in grade eight and we went to Jamaica. And I just remember flying over. And that was the first time I really saw like really, really clear blue water, mm-hmm. which to me, I just like couldn't even like wrap my brain around that that's like the same ocean that I live on. <laughs> just a little bit south. Yeah, just like- a bit south. Yeah, that was crazy. But yeah, I like I guess I just don't have a first real memory of the water just because I was always on the water. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So April... You have a dad that owns a dive shop, but you weren't diving at six years old or anything like that, were you? Well, in ways, yes, in ways, no. So I think my dad, being the diver he is, he definitely pushed for us to dive. So, And I feel like the statue of limitations has been lifted, so I can say this. But as a kid, my dad definitely like got us in the pool on some dive gear and we'd like play around in the shallow end and stuff and Mm -hmm. we had fun but then I got really into sports and like he tried to get me certified (laughs) when I turned 12 and I was just like I have no interest in this sorry dad and he started my open water with me then and I just honestly didn't care (laughs) which I think Part of that actually had to do with my dad owning a dive shop because although now I think scuba diving is the coolest thing in the world, I definitely didn't always. It was just like anything to me. It was like skating or skiing. Like scuba diving wasn't something special because, well, the shop has been around longer than I have. So just when you grow up with it, it's nothing special. So when I got the opportunity to dive at 12, it was like, I don't really cares (laughs) when i was 17 that's when i learned how to dive and then i actually wanted to it was like i had been around the shop and like sports were starting to end and i was ready to do it on my own so i guess i was putting around the pool at six but i really didn't get certified until i was 17 was your dad disappointed that you didn't take up diving right away how did he feel about that (laughs) it's probably a better way to put it i think in ways he was a little bit sad 
because you could tell that he really wanted to die. Like he wanted the whole family diving because it was something that he loved. And he was like, oh, we can all do this together. Like Mm. when we go away on March break, we can all go diving. But we really just had like no interest in that. So I think my dad's like family scuba dream turned into like family snorkel (laughs) dream. But (laughs) I think This is sounding a lot like my life. (laughs) I think think now my dad is very proud of me and very happy that I'm diving. But (laughs) at the time, I think he was like, come on, like, screw soccer, dive. (laughs) Do it now. Yeah, Do do it now. But it doesn't sound like he put a lot of pressure on you, is it? Like, you know, from a real standpoint, he wasn't there kind of really pushing that through. How was he? Was he supportive about that with you? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I think anyone that knows my dad knows that he is like the most calm, like level headed person. (laughs) So like when I when he's teaching me to dive and I was just like, Dad, I don't want to do this. He was just like, "Okay, that's fine. Like he really, he really didn't care all that much. I think maybe internally he cared a little bit, but he definitely didn't show that he cared. He was like, oh, you want to go skiing? You want to play soccer? You want to skate? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So no, I don't, I don't think on the outside he showed anything. Yeah. It's kind of hard. You know, I imagine it's hard, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're in that, like, I don't know, 10 to 13 age at very least. And, you know, whatever your parents do is probably the least cool thing in the world. Yeah. And he's a dive shop owner. And so you had to set out and make your own thing, I imagine. Yeah. And I mean, like when like growing up, I remember sitting on like the rocks at Birchy Head and watching my dad go <laughs> for a dive and like just literally well my parents used to bring me as a baby into the dive shop and take care of me like at work so just being around it my entire life like it it really wasn't anything special so Mm -hmm. it just wasn't it wasn't something where I was like oh what a great opportunity I can learn how to dive I can't wait I think part of it too is like it was always on the table like Mm -hmm. if your Mm -hmm. dad's a scuba instructor I can do it literally whatever I want and I feel like this makes me sound terrible but i just uh (laughs) when i was young i really i didn't have a lot of interest and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it was it was just such a normal thing i think it's like your mom knitting it was like my dad dives like it just (laughs) it was didn't matter to me it's just you're really selling it there aren't you (laughs) yeah i know but i'm just like it was just such a normal thing to me I totally understand that. But then when you finally did get certified, you started doing a bunch of dives and made up for lost time. I remember your your weekly dives with uh, Nick, not uh, not our Nick here, but Nick Jarrett. Yes. Even when I did finally decide I wanted to get uh, certified, I had been working like in the shop for, I don't know, it was probably like nine months or something. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I should probably do this because like, I feel like a fraud. I'm here like selling people <laughs> dive gear and I don't even know how to dive. And like, I remember, I Justin, do you remember my first shift at the shop when I was like 16? Vaguely, vaguely. <laughs> I remember I showed up and my dad wasn't even there. It was like me and Justin. And Justin said to me, he's like, so like, are you actually here for like the long run? Should I properly train you? Or like, are you just here to make a bit of money? <laughs> So, like, am I actually going to train you or, like, do you want to just sweep the floors? (laughs) And I was like, no, no, I think I'm in it. I think I'm in it for the long haul. So he actually trained me. (laughs) I I may or may not have been burned by an older sister. (laughs) Did you actually teach her to sweep floors? Because apparently it's a requirement. (laughs) But, yeah. The skills that last a lifetime. (laughs) So I actually decided to get certified. And even, like at 17 in the pool and i've told like the sea foxes this because many of them had similar uh experiences but doing my open water like the first part in the pool i even then i was like man i don't know if this is for me like i just i don't get it like i i mean i'm just doing drills in a pool like i don't really care and then i went to the ocean And my first dive in the ocean was at Fox Point Beach. And it just like clicked. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I like this. (laughs) And after that, I was hooked. 
And I think I went diving like three times a week just for <laughs> the rest of my life. So <laughs> I was, it was like in the pool. I just like didn't really care all that much. But as soon as I got to the ocean and it was like the summertime, it was really warm. There was all these little lobster crawling around. It was like an awesome visibility day. And I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. This is why people do this. I like it. I'm in it. Okay, this is good. I don't blame you because the first time I went into one of those pools, I was like, this is where they teach people how to dive. Um, and yeah. coming from the Caribbean, it's just, it's really the antithesis of like, you know, a pleasure diving. <laughs> right. Yeah. So why, why did you decide to eventually become a, a dive master and then later on an instructor? What made you take up that step? So both my dive master and instructor, I would not say were something that I was like, I'm ready to do this. I'm going to do it. It was like, I think my dive master, it was like, April, we need one more person to run this course. You want to do it? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't think I'm ready. Like, I don't think I'm dive master material yet. And Justin was like, nah, you can do it. You can do it. So I, <laughs> so I was like. It's all my fault. I pressured you. Yeah, well. Salesmanship, know. Justin. Salesmanship. Justin encourages me, although I've I've done a fair bit. I'm always the first person to doubt myself. So like free diver course, Justin was like, nah, you could do it. Ice diver course, Justin's like, nah, you could do it. Dive master instructor, he's like, ah, you could do it. So Justin, thanks for doing that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Where were you uh, on the side mount course, Justin? Like, apparently. Yeah, apparently you can do that too. Yeah, yeah really, really slacking on that one, Justin. You really dug a hole for a minute yeah. to throw Justin in there. <laughs> But yeah, Dive Master, I definitely didn't feel ready, but I decided to do it anyhow. And I I said to, I've talked about a lot of this, like with the girls, the sea foxes, and like so much of it has to do with just like surrounded by like courses of men. So my Dive Master course, it was like me, Scott, Sean, Sebastian, and Lauren. And then my instructor course, it was me, Amit, Ross, and Jamie. So it's definitely like a little bit intimidating being the only woman on those courses, which I think maybe was part of why I was like, oh man, like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I'm really glad I did it. And now I definitely have even bigger goals and like climbing that instructor ladder and who knows, maybe being a course director one day or something, we'll see. But yeah, I think I love teaching. I love helping. So Dime Master and Instructor were definitely something on my radar. But when I did them, I didn't necessarily think I was ready for them. That's pretty cool. Well, you did it. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> and you're also, so you're you're a huge fan of cold water diving. We all know that. But what was your first warm water dive experience like? So I feel like my first warm water dive experience was like the Ferrari of warm water diving <laughs> because I went from only diving in Nova Scotia to diving in like Bali, Indonesia. So my first, <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I went from like the Honda Civic to the Ferrari. Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> Oh yeah. You, you um, might have jumped to a McLaren F1 on yeah. that. <laughs> Forget the Ferrari. So my first, yeah, my first warm water, it was a dive in Bali. My second warm water dive was the, it's actually rated the number one shore dive in the world. I can't remember the name of the wreck to save my life. Justin, maybe you can find it and add that in there. <laughs> yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, it was, that's rated the number one shore dive in the world. But that was my second warm water dive. And my dad, I was with my dad. My dad said, April, why don't we go do like one quick little, uh, warm water dive today before we go and do our our big dive tomorrow just like a warm-up mm -hmm. it's like yeah sounds good so we went out with this like i i feel like there's so much background information with this but when i was in bali it was when all those earthquakes were going on a few years ago so we actually got like trapped in bali we were supposed to uh, go to like all the like gilly islands and lombok and everything but we couldn't go because we were stuck in bali and which, you know, if you're going to be stuck, that's an okay place to be stuck. <laughs> and uh, 
So we were in northern Bali, and it's like not as touristy there. It's fairly small. So we went to this little dive shop. They took us out, and it was basically like a canoe that we went diving in. So the boat was like as wide as my hips, and we all just kind of like sat on our little like pieces of wood and had our tanks (laughs) between our knees. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. And it was also my first boat dive because I had only done shore diving up until this point. And (laughs) so we get there. They're like, all right, throw your tanks in the water. So I do that. And then it's like, wow, I have like four pounds of lead. I have like no weight. And I'm wearing, I had like a three mil wetsuit on, which I ended up like sweating in because the water was so warm. (laughs) And it felt like diving in a pool. Like it didn't even feel like diving. And still to this day, when I dive in warm water, it's like my mind can't make the connection that this is also scuba diving because in my brain, scuba diving is like I'm in my dry suit with all this equipment. It takes me like an hour to gear up and I'm freezing and that's diving. But so I don't know. I guess yeah, my I feel first the same warm way. water. <laughs> yeah, my first warm water dive, it's like, where's all my equipment? I'm forgetting something. And like, this is a pool. This isn't the ocean. And I don't know. Why, why uh, is this water touching my skin? Like, what's yeah, going on here? Exactly. Like, it's not supposed to be water touching my skin when I'm diving. Yeah. I'm in a dry suit. It almost felt like an entirely different experience. I'll take a minute to stop here, April. And we're going to go to a commercial break. And we'll be back with more from April 1. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to April Weikert, uh, one of the co-hosts of Dive in the Podcast. April, you started a club called the Sea Foxes. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is and how that kind of came about? Yeah, so the Sea Foxes is an all-women's dive club in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We go diving. We try to do twice a month. Sometimes in the colder months, it's only once. We do pool nights, we do social events, and yeah, so it's it's really just a dive club for women. And really how it all got started, I wish that there was like a really big, cool story of how it got started, but it was a little bit of just like, I think it was just something we needed so badly, and that's why it caught on so quickly. So me and a fellow instructor, Annika, were like hanging out at the fill station one day, filling up some tanks for a course. She was like, <laughs> you know, be pretty. As you do. Be, well, you know, dive shop life. And she was like, you know, be cool. Like a ladies dive club. I was like, that would be super cool. And I was like, you know, even if it's just like you and me going diving every week, like we could be the women's dive club. And like. Even if one other girl joins us sometimes, like, that'd be cool. Like, we could we could have our own little, like, club here. So me and Annika were like, all right, let's go dive in on April 6th. And we'll just, like, invite some girls and see what happens. We were totally expecting it to just be the two of us. And we got Justin to, like, put it in the newsletter as an absolute joke. We have the Sea Wolves which is our just like general dive club. I was just like teasing and joking around and I'm like, yeah, well, we're the sea foxes. (laughs) And then Justin put that in the newsletter and here we are. So (laughs) the name had zero thought. It was just something I thought I was hilarious. And that's how the sea foxes are named. But anyhow, so April 6th rolls around. Me and Annika show up to Sandy Cove again 
totally expecting it to just be the two of us. And there were six other girls there, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it kind of blew my mind. And I was like, okay, like there's something here. There's something here. And Annika is like a super busy lady. So she's like, April, this one's on you. Like, I don't have the time. So like, it's on you, but go for it, girl. So I got Justin to get me the information of every single woman we had certified in the past two years. And I emailed every single one of them. And if you ever want to feel a whole lot of rejection, try that one out. (laughs) (laughs) I got like a few responses and I planned like a meeting at the shop. And I had like about eight or 10 girls show up to that. But every single person who showed up was like super enthusiastic and was like, yeah, like we should do this. This will be awesome. Most of them were people that I hadn't even really seen before. And (laughs) I don't know if I should name names, but there (laughs) was one lady and we're going around the room, just kind of introducing ourselves, saying a little bit about our history. And we got to her and she was like, honestly, I just did my open water course and I hated every second of it. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And she's like, yeah, but like, I still want to dive. So I think that's why I'm here. And I'm like, okay, okay, we can work with that. We can work with that. And she has come to every single club dive. She's still around. So obviously we really changed her mind and she loves diving now. So that was, that was good. But yeah, I guess that's kind of how it came to happen. And it just really like, we started the Facebook group and it just took off and it grew. And I would like to take a lot of the responsibility for it, but It was just something that everybody loved and it kind of grew itself. So you you had a pretty amazing response, but earlier on you mentioned that there was a need for it. Why did you say that? I think as a woman in diving and especially a woman in cold water diving, there's the serious lack of female presence. And like I said, on my dive master course and my instructor course, I was the only woman. Multiple other courses I've taken, I'm the only woman my ice diving course I took, I was the only girl. So you just, as a woman, you look around and you're like, ah, there's not many others of me here, which can be a little bit discouraging. We certify tons of women, but we never see them again. And a lot of them are like, well, it's kind of intimidating to dive with all the men. Like, what if I forget how to do something? What if I need help? Like, we just created this club, which is like, beyond supportive, beyond inclusive. Everybody is so close and so welcoming. And the people who have hundreds of dives under their belt, they're fine with doing that like 20-foot dive for 20 minutes uh, with the person who just finished their open water because they're just happy to be out and enjoying the sport. So not everybody can say that. I know that there's lots of people who are happy to do that, but it was just something that I think was needed in our community. Mm -hmm. Divers are divers, regardless of gender, but the sea foxes, your dives tend to operate a little differently, I guess, than your average kind of maybe sea wolves or other, you know, two dudes showing up to do a dive and kind of nodding at each other before the dive or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It's definitely something like I have never experienced before. And again, like I just can't really take the credit for the club. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I started it. I founded it. I like did some of the housekeeping and like the startup, but so many girls in that club are just so passionate that, I mean, I can't, I can't create, I can't give them passion. Like they have the passion. So they're the reason that it runs. They're the reason that it works. They're the reason that it's so successful. Like, I really can't be responsible for it, but they're like, you go to these dives and just the energy is insane and everyone is so excited and people are constantly talking. Like there's a post in our Facebook group every single day. Even people are all becoming friends and people are like, oh my God, April, like, I made so many friends, like I'm diving so much because of this club and it's just the community. Like it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. It's got to be a pretty rewarding feeling to have had a hand in that. 
even if you're not actively running it right now or, or day to day? Yeah. So, I mean, right now I'm in Ontario, so I do try to be as involved as you possibly can from a distance during COVID. So I'm definitely there virtually, but I can't be there physically right now. I'm very excited to get back, but uh, Jess and Cassandra have like blown me away with what they're doing. Every single club dive, they're getting new divers in the water, which I mean, at the end of the day is the goal. We have people who were like, oh, I only got certified so I can like dive in Mexico when I go down south every year. And now they're diving twice a month in Nova Scotia. It's just amazing. And it is like really, really rewarding. I would say hands down, the sea foxes is the thing I am most proud of in my life. I mean, that's that's quite powerful. Yeah, can't imagine. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm like so blown away by it, but I do. I I have a hard time taking all the credit because, you know, I can organize the dives, but I can't force people to show up. So it is it's just the girls who are so passionate and the reason that it works and it is what it is. There's a difficulty in getting people in general to dive after being certified and women are underrepresented in divers in general, as you've said in your, you know, a lot of your courses. And it's, it just kind of seems to blow a lot of preconceived notions out of the water with all the, the number of ladies showing up to all of those dives. And, and often on weekends when the sea foxes are diving, they're just filling up the beach with 10 to 15 <laughs> or even 20 girls. They're doing their thing. And yeah, I just got to say that I, I think it's totally cool. Oh, thanks, Justin. Yeah, it is it's really special. And it's something, I mean, I try to focus on. And I think too, just working in the dive shop, I don't want to go too like far off. But being a woman in scuba is not like, I don't know, it's not always, uh, especially cold water diving. I think it's overlooked a lot. And I would always be asked working at, do you dive? Like <laughs> people, do you dive? Do you know how to dive? It's like, yeah, I'm actually an instructor. So when you have a club like this, like representing the diving community in Nova Scotia, it opens people's eyes and it makes them realize like, oh, there's like a whole community of girls that dive. This is not just for the boys. Like girls can do it too. And, you know, like the guy who came in and asked me if I knew how to scuba dive, his 12-year-old daughter, when he hears, yeah, I'm an instructor and we have a whole female dive community, then that girl's like, oh, I can do it too. This isn't for the boys. So it's just like a whole, like there's just so many aspects to it. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool, actually. And you know, I think it's it's especially being a, a dad of a of a young daughter. I think that's a really important piece to have. And you know, obviously, I think for for divers and even for kids who aren't really looking at it from a dive perspective. But I know when Aurora's walked into the shop on occasion and been like, "Oh, Daddy, does this person dive?" That's usually the first question, right? They're in a dive shop. Who dives here? And when she sees herself represented in the in the divers there, then I think it's a piece that lets her know that that door is open to her as well. So I appreciate the effort that you guys have done there. And obviously you found a good niche. Like you said, it, it wouldn't have worked if there wasn't a need for it. And there obviously seemed to have been a need for it. So on our Instagram the other day, we asked uh, everybody out there if they had any questions for April. And so we did get an overwhelming response and we picked three questions to ask. I'll start us off here. Stacy asked, what did you find was the biggest difference between diving in Tobermory and Nova Scotia? Well, I feel like the obvious answer is the visibility. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was insane visibility in Tobermory. And everybody on the boat was like, well, it's all right today. And it was just like blowing my mind how good it was. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to say the visibility. Yeah, I think Tobermory has some unique visibility among many dive destinations around the world. I think so, too. And so, April, Laura has uh, thrown out a question here. She wants to know, what is your most memorable dive? I think my most memorable dive is actually my first ice dive. And a lot of people, I mean, they're not going to rave about the uh, amazing ice diving in Kearney Lake, Nova Scotia. Uh, <laughs> but there's just something about it that I love. I like looking up at the ice and seeing all the patterns. Uh, I like how it's kind of like dark and mysterious down there. Uh, I just I just really like it. So I was instantly 
taken by ice diving. I really, really like it. So that's my my most memorable, I think, is my first ice dive. And Sonia wants to know when you're coming back to Nova Scotia. Uh, tomorrow. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll come back whenever you want me back, man. <laughs> like, uh, I guess in all seriousness, when, I, when I'm done what I got to do here, I will be back. Like, like Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) So April, I'm going to, I'm going to end you off here with uh, one of our traditional questions. What keeps you diving? So many things. So even though, I mean, in the beginning of this interview, I told you all about how I could care less about diving. Well, (laughs) now I couldn't care more. I love to dive. I am so happy to be in the water. I truly, truly believe under the water is my happiest place and i am so sad that right now diving is just like so not accessible to me and yeah what keeps me diving i mean the sea foxes keep me diving torpedo rays and just like the family business and everything uh that's behind that and the emotion that's behind that keeps me diving i mean i always say like at this point torpedo rays is one of the family members to me. <laughs> like it is uh, something so close to my heart. And also just the people, the dive community. I love the Nova Scotia dive community. Sea wolves or sea foxes. I'm not judging. I like y'all. I mean, I don't even know how to answer this question. What keeps me diving? Everything. I love diving. Everything keeps me diving. The sea, the clubs, the communities, the shop, everything. That's great. That's a fantastic answer. <laughs> Is it? I feel like it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it just speaks to your passion, right? So, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. But thank you guys. Thanks for interviewing me. I hope the folks at home enjoyed that one. I think they will. I think they get mm-hmm. a kick out of it. And everybody's also been asking for Nick. So he's up next on the list. And yes. thanks, thanks for being in the hot seat. April. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my, my phrase that you guys have uh, adopted is uh, the hot seat. <laughs> The hot seat. Yeah. Let's change gears here, guys, and we'll uh, we'll have a chat about cold water regulators. So this is my first night for my segment on uh, equipment that's uh, called gearing up. And tonight I wanted to chat about cold water regulators um, because it's winter. Almost it's basically winter in Canada. Winter's so, coming. Winter's yeah, coming. it's. Water temperatures here dropped to six degrees this week, six degrees Celsius. Not that that would make it any better in Fahrenheit, but (laughs) so I figure what better time to chat about cold water regulators and regulators in general have a lot of different features and parts. So I'm going to kind of breeze over a few things before I chat about specifically what makes something good in cold water or not. But there's a couple of things along the way to start with DIN versus yoke captured O-ring in a DIN regulator is much safer and better than a yoke regulator because it's less likely to extrude that o-ring out and it's it's capable of being secured at a higher pressure but the downside is you have to clean that din fitting from time to time otherwise it gets to be a huge pain in the butt to use and you can just add a yoke adapter to make it compatible with any tank so first one thing when i'm looking at a regulator is din then there's piston versus diaphragm. And this is really kind of just a personal choice or the reg, the reg you end up deciding. Piston regulators tend to let water inside the kind of middle of the reg where the water pushes directly on the piston. And a diaphragm uses a uh, indirect contact through a diaphragm. So they kind of do the same thing, but literally from the different end of the, of the part of the regulator. The big thing, though, you'll hear about is balanced versus unbalanced versus overbalanced. Unbalanced regs can are kind of the oldest style reg they change breathing effort as you could dive deeper and as your tank empties and then there there's balanced regulators which will stay consistent all through the dive and the deeper you go and as your tank goes down your air keeps coming down at the same rate and some people say that's not a benefit because you don't know if your tank's running out but i say check your gauge more often and uh, it's it, makes, <laughs> it balances out um, se- second stages can also be balanced uh, they usually use a little bit of air that bypasses and then kind of pushes from the other side and so you don't have to use as much inhalation effort to breathe and then there's some also some overbalanced first stages overbalanced though 
is honestly a little bit of a marketing term. And it's just the way summer eggs end up working. I think <laughs> you can see the term overbalance used often with like apex regulators. Not that that's really a bad thing in my opinion, because I, I like apex regulators. But the the number one thing you tend to hear about when a regulator is cold water or not is when it can be environmentally sealed. And environmentally sealed, most often seen on diaphragm regulators because the little chamber that they keep dry by applying the environmental seal is at, usually at the top of the regulator and it's a big spring and a little chamber and the water enters that chamber, pushes down on this pad on the diaphragm and, and adjusts the pressure as you go down. And when you environmentally seal it, it puts a, a seal over the top of that so the water can't go in. There are a few environmentally sealed piston regulators though and so what they do what in the old days what they did is they filled up that chamber that you that we were talking about before that lets water in and they put oil in it that was a miserable disaster if you were a service technician but these days they use crystal lube which is an oxygen safe lubricant for o-rings and regulators and stuff and fill this thing up with crystal lube and you put a little basically an elastic around it and now you've got a an environmentally sealed piston regulator and a lot of times people think piston regulators are kind of like the not highest end regulators maybe some of the bottom of the barrel regulators but i'll throw out here the atomic m1 which is, is a very high-end regulator and it's an environmentally sealed piston rig so there's a there's a lot of things to look at those balanced regulators tend to also have adjustments on the on the second stage for the venturi which is how easy it is to breathe as you inhale and then the cracking effort adjustment which is that big spinny adjustment that can make your rig perform exactly how you want it and also if you adjust it too much in either direction either really poorly or <laughs> free flow all the time so with all those additional things i often tell people it's like spider-man with great power comes great responsibility so <laughs> you can make your you can make your rig perform great or terribly it's up to you and you have to know how to do that on a little bit of additional things ports are pretty standard these days too high pressure for low pressure Sometimes you get a rotating turret on the first stage, which is my preference, and fifth port as well is something you might hear about, which means it's perpendicular to the rest of the ports, which is usually better for hose routing. Those don't really make a reg better or worse for cold water, but just some little things to look out for. So there's lots of cold water regs out there. I didn't mention this at the beginning, but cold water is generally considered anything below 10 degrees Celsius. And, and that's just because as you breathe a regulator it gets colder because that air is expanding and uh, and as it expands it ices up and, and that's why we have all these features and things to keep them warm and dry and not free-flowing in your mouth so if you ever need any help finding a, a cold water regulator shoot me a message you don't have to buy it from me i'll just help you out with it i think they call it minus or what is it 10 degrees celsius probably because they're not diving in nova scotia and they realize that that's warm water for us over here <laughs> Yeah, it just goes to show, though, how cold, I mean, if you drain a scuba tank and just watch the ice form on the valve in the middle of the summer. So, you know, that's that's happening while you dive behind the back of your head and you can't even see it. These crazy tests that they do on these regulators to okay them for use by the U.S. Navy, mm -hmm. they basically stick them in like minus two degree temperatures and then they breathe them extremely rapidly and you get this huge ball of ice that forms all around the first stage regulator wow. in the water it's it's crazy and uh, they have to continue to work through all that wow so there really is a lot of technology or testing going on behind the scenes to, to qualify for that yeah, sometimes people want the lighter weight regs, but those bigger, you know, big brass regs tend to be better heat sinks. And so they, they perform better. My Zegel F8 has never done me wrong. Just, yeah, just that's, throwing that That's one that I, one I see that doesn't tend to have any problems in cold water. The Apex, you know, all the Apex regulators, you know, all the XTX 50s, 200s, MTRs, all those I see work flawlessly and they're really simple rigs. So there's mm -hmm. not a lot to mess up in them. I would yeah, go for yeah. an Apex. I'd take one of those if, like, you know, someone had a spare one laying around. Somebody had one laying around. Four, I'd, so, I'd uh, what, you got four of them <laughs> And you're just hoarding them? Like, uh, no, just, your just, like, daughter could take yeah, one? Like, I mean, I'll take one. He just <laughs> offered you one. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. just have to move back and then you can use it oh, whenever okay. he's not using I'll it. I'll be on a plane tomorrow. 
See That's you in right. Two weeks. Just <laughs> swing on by, and I'll hook you. Just remember, though, if I like my, I have two specific for just O2 clean. So you're, if you're diving those, they need uh, to be on an uh, on O2 clean gear. So uh, there but, you go. Yeah, but you know, I I love them. I got to say, like I do, I am a big fan of them. I like the the work of breathing on them is great. I find as you're even when you're at a deeper depth, like if you get down past recreational depths, like they tend to hold their. Uh, it, well, they do exactly what they say. Like there is no change in the work of breathing and, and they're reliable pieces of kit. And I, I love the rotating turret. So even from my, you know, and, and it's not to push Apex. There's lots of other brands out there that have rotating turrets. Just about every brand mm-hmm. will, you know, will have one. So, but, you know, for hose roading, when you're going to rig a deco bottle, as an example, like it's a beautiful thing to have, uh, have your hose be able to rote in a nice clean fashion all the way down the bottle. And then when you pull it out to deploy it, you get that extra, you know, inch and a half to two inches that uh, that just gives you a little bit of ease ease to uh, place the regulator in your mouth. So, yeah, big fan of them. And I think there's definitely, if you're going to dive in cold water in Nova Scotia in the winter, especially, you you really need to give some thought to to making sure that you have a cold water rated reg. A hundred percent. Okay, so well, thanks for joining me for the inaugural episode of Gearing Up. And on my next segment in a few weeks, we'll be chatting about uh, buoyancy compensators, BCD jackets, back inflation, harnesses, and fancy things like side mount sets. So, well, it'll be woo-hoo. fun to chat about. <laughs> I thought I'd get a woohoo out of a mitt for that. Woohoo! Uh, Let's take it over to April, where you're going to tell us about your segment. Yeah, this is my new segment that we're going to do. So it's called Dive Girls Around the World. And I'm basically just going to be highlighting a very special dive girl. So could be free diver, scuba diver, tech diver, any kind of uh, diver. High diver? diver? Sure, why not? If she's cool, I'll I'll holler at her. Uh, (laughs) So this week for my first one, I'm going to be talking about Irene Marcou. So Irene is a free diving instructor, paddy course director, and a brand ambassador for Curls at Scuba. Basically, she's my idol. So she was the first woman to gain course director status in Quebec, which is super cool. Sea Foxes are big fans of Girls at Scuba. So when I saw Irene was one of their brand ambassadors this year, we were all super excited. So aside from being a woman, Irene is working really hard to bring issues that plus size divers and especially female plus size divers have to light. Uh, She recently wrote an article for Girls at Scuba talking about what it's like wetsuit shopping as a plus size woman. And there's literally only one manufacturer who makes one wetsuit in her size. So she literally has one choice of wetsuit to buy off the rack. So she's working to change that. So she's super cool, and I find her beyond inspiring. She's an absolutely incredible role model. And I don't want to say too much more. Because and maybe I shouldn't say this because I'm going to steal Justin's thunder here, but she's going to be on the podcast next week and we're going to be interviewing her. So I'm really oh. excited for that. <laughs> thunder stolen. Yeah, I'm just stealing your thunder <laughs> this week. But yeah, Irene is super cool. I saw her actually last year when I was doing my IE in Montreal. Well, that's going to be cool. But yeah, we'll bring that all together. It's going to be an interesting interview for sure. And yeah, looking forward to uh, chatting with Irene next week. But uh, this week, I want to say thanks for letting us chat with you, April. Yeah, that was like fun and super nerve wracking. And I hope <laughs> I like didn't sound like an idiot or something talking. But yeah, it was fun. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Don't worry. If you said anything really bad, I'll cut it out. Well, okay. You might have some work to do this week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, no, I don't know. Was it was good. fun. It was fun. Thanks, guys. I love diving, regardless of what I said when I was a kid. I like it now. <laughs> that's right. You become wise more. with age. So that's the yeah. Best. You know, I got smarter. I stopped kicking the ball around and started diving under. So you know, and running into trees or or other skiers or something. Yeah, all my concussions. Maybe you should ask me. Maybe that's why I uh, <laughs> I hit my head a few times and had to get into diving and realized I loved it. <laughs> that's a, a story for another day. <laughs> have to go back and check your medical questionnaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many times has April had a concussion? The limit does not exist. <laughs> awesome, and hopefully we don't get anyone in trouble. No. Yeah. Just 
<laughs> yeah, I also thank the co-hosts that weren't being interviewed tonight. Nick, thanks for being here as always. It's a pleasure as always. And Amit, same to you, sir. Always fantastic. And yeah, I know I, I really enjoyed that interview with April there. And, you know, one of the things that came through to me there was the fact that not everybody's path to diving has to be the same path and you know sometimes it's very cool that you're not interested in something at one point but when it appeals to you you kind of get back into it so or i guess get to it as it were in this case so yeah very cool story to hear so thanks for having me here and great story yeah definitely just that's a actually really excellent point i want to reiterate is yeah not everybody had to be sitting there salivating over diving watching sea hunt every week and sometimes you don't know you're gonna love something until you do it and that's true yeah. yeah. So anyway, get out and do it. Yeah. Get, get out, out and do it. Do it. Try, Try something it. new, even <laughs> if it's not go. diving. Yeah. yeah anything. Windsurfing, some yeah. kiteboarding. I don't know. Something anything. cool. Yeah. Like as long as it's playing cool. the guitar. I don't know. Try something new. <laughs> Our happy message. Yeah. From your hosts of Dive in the Podcast. <laughs> Back to the credits. <laughs> <laughs> You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook with at divein.thepodcast. Our email is divein.thepodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.diveinthepodcast.com. On there, you can send us a voice message, find links to past episodes, and you can find me on social media at IDiveOKAprils at April Weikert. Nick Winkler is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. You can find links for everything we mentioned on today's episode in the show notes or on our website, DiveInThePodcast.com. Next week, as April mentioned earlier, we're speaking to Irene Marcoux. Be sure not to miss it. This episode of Dive In The Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. Head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening. Hey, Justin. Yes. yes. <laughs> you sounded so yes. annoyed. <laughs> uh, no, I was just trying to slow down. I felt like I was speed reading there. Yes. <laughs> uh, how are the frogs? <laughs> All alive and kicking. Kicking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Frogs wow. kick and they swim. They frog kick. Yes. Yes. Mm. Oh, well played. I'm uh, glad uh. to hear the frogs are doing well. The African dwarf frogs. Happy to hear it. Yeah. Had a little bit of an algae bloom in the tank, but I think that's really? taken care of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, fish tanks in the summer, they're a pain in the butt. I was going to say too much sunlight or what? <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's just, yeah. it's uh, mostly my personality. Too Time. much, too bright, too bright and sunny. <laughs> 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 <laughs>